This is my 24th time donating blood and I know it is very important for us as the black community to give blood because not enough of us is doing it. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart. Right. It's episode 10. Pat. We've done it. Pat. Not yet. We're finished. We've got an episode to go. This is, this is, this is the final episode, but we've got to get it done. Yeah. But they don't know we're getting it done. No, that's true. Podcasting for our health. The final episode. Do we call it that? (laughs) Episode 10. Episode 10. (laughs) Feel the love. It's over. We're done. So go, For now. go back to the beginning and start again and start listening to all those things. You think, I remember that. You know, like a good song. Yeah. A good podcast episode. Prim, do you feel proud? I feel relieved first. Yeah. And then very proud. Because episode 10 is the episode that almost didn't happen. Mm-hmm. COVID has been a brute. Yeah. But guess what? We beat COVID in many ways. and we've got episode 10 and i am really really proud i feel like this is my third child he or she's graduating from university and they've got a nice job lined up that's how i feel so this episode is especially special because sickle cell is very topical at the moment we just had the all-party parliamentary group report no one's listening well we've listened and we hope our listeners will really listen yeah to what the needs are where sickle cell are concerned. There are things happening in Bristol because of these podcasts that I can't share just yet, but great things for people living with the condition in our locality, Pat. Mm. We've done that. What have we got in this final episode? In this final episode, Pat, we revisit two special women, Naomi Simpson, who is mother to two girls living with sickle cell disorder. And then we have a gem, We have an absolute gem, Pat. (laughs) You know how I feel about the men. I love the men. I love when the men get up and do things because we think they don't do anything, but they do a lot. We get bad publicity, you know. Men get bad publicity, but never from Prim. Mm. Especially as global majority men. And and, and actually, we get bad publicity as as husbands, as, as fathers so often. And, and, and it's just, not always the case. You just get bad publicity, Pat, because yeah, you're Yeah, but that's Pat. just me as Pat, yeah. isn't it? Take the gender out of it. But yeah. it's really important, as you were saying, that men are doing positive stuff, um, but even more important that we get to hear about it. Absolutely. So there were two blood drives in Bristol last year, and I went along to both of them in the middle of COVID. Brave. I shouldn't even be saying this, but I was brave. I wasn't going to miss it because men were there Men from global majority backgrounds were there giving blood repeatedly, willingly. No one's got to force them. That gem in the middle, Pat, is not just men also, but we must remember our allies, the people who support us. Yeah. So we hear from two of those allies in that piece. So our final piece is Juliet. Juliet. Julie. She says, Julie. I'm Julie. But for official things, she says Juliet. Mm -hmm. And Juliet talks us 
through her life as somebody living with sickle cell. Let's kick on with our first guest. Yes. So this is Naomi Simpson. She's a mother of four, twin boys and two older girls who both live with sickle cell disorder. I'm a mother of four. Two out of my four, my two oldest daughters have sickle cell SD. They were born, was told they both had sickle cell, obviously after birth, on the regular medication, which is a penicillin twice a day, folic acid once a day. Never really had any big issues, mainly sort of preventative measures, obviously making sure they weren't overexerting themselves or getting dehydrated or too cold. You know, the, the usual managing a child or, or, or someone with sickle cell. They never had any any problems, no major problems. You know, if they had any pain, we could treat it with you know the ordinary sort of cowpaw and child ibuprofen. They had their first crisis in July 2017, within two weeks of each other. There was a virus going around called slap cheek syndrome, which ordinarily if it affects any other child which doesn't have a, a blood disorder, you know, it would be sort of like it, you treat it mildly. Um, but with someone with sickle cell. It became a, a challenge, so they both had their first sickle cell crisis. The oldest was the first one to have a crisis, and she was in hospital for about four days, and then the second one was in for five days. So for me, I guess after that, I was probably taking the condition a bit more seriously, because until, up until that point, you know, we're kind of, you know, sort of sailing through life, not worrying about this condition and just managing the best that we could. I mean, they both have their main sickling areas where they, they'll get regular pain, my oldest, Chenaya, her pain is usually in her back or in her head. With Hanaya, it's usually behind her knees and she might complain about the pain being, being behind in her back. So she recently started having quite intense sickling pain. We managed the usual way, having lots of water, the ordinary basic paracetamol and ibuprofen, um, making sure she had rest, you know, speaking to the school, you know, saying, you know, make sure she doesn't go outside, you know, allow her to rest and all of the usual usual stuff that we do. She had an acute crisis, admitted to hospital, um, usual hospital store here in Bristol. I usually go in, you know, to get them on the PCA, on the strong pain relief, and then usually within the visit, they sort of taper down the pain relief and we're usually then discharged and we're out the door and we're just managing at home. Naomi, yes. you've used some terms that maybe our listeners to our podcast won't know. What yeah. is sickle cell SD and what is yeah. PCA? That's a good question. So sickle cell SD, so you got the SS, which is the sickle cell neumon, and the SC. My husband had the hemoglobin C trait and I had the S trait. And then together, our girls now have the sickle cell SD. Usually, those with SD can get regular crisis. It's usually not as aggressive as those with the SS. You know, there's, there's a lot of debate around that anyway. You know, still get a lot of the same health challenges. They don't usually have to have a blood transfusion, which is, so those with SD don't usually, they would say, typically won't usually need to have a transfusion, whereas those with the SS may have, usually have to have a regular exchange. And then the PCA, basically, where they're on the IV, they have the pain relief infused rather than taken orally. And with that, they're able to press a button to release, you know, a certain dose of morphine or tremadol, depending on the severity of the situation. So with both admissions back in July 2017, they both had that go in, they'll be given the pain relief, initially the oxygen, pain specialists will come and, you know, set up the TCA and everything. It would just go along, you, you wait it out, really. 
it was an unusual process this time. And actually going back to the crisis that they had in 2017, my oldest daughter had another crisis last year in February. And it's interesting because I said to a lot of people that I know, you know, amongst the sickle cell community that um, you could see that the new standards that have been rolled out nationally in the healthcare or clinical care guide, they've made those improvements at that time around when my daughter went into the ambulance. I let her go in the ambulance and then my mum took me in the car. Um, by the time she came out the ambulance, she had the oxygen on already, which was good. So on her first admission, neither of them had that, which is really, really beneficial, quite crucial when someone with sickle cell has a crisis. So she came out the ambulance with the oxygen, flushed straight through the triage into the cubicle in the A&E. She was given pain relief straight away and had her all prepped to have the IV fluids and you know, get her prepped so that she could have the, the PCA ready once she was sent up to the ward. Was that yeah. your older daughter that you're, you just so that told me my, about? Yeah, so that's, so that's my older daughter. Tell, um, me, tell me about the experiences now of your younger yeah. daughters. That must have been very hard for you to have your child in and out of hospital yeah. for months. So just talk me through that from the beginning. So with Hanaya, on this admission, understanding the process and the protocols, the usual process and how sickle patients are treated, went into the A&E or the ambulance came and did their usual assessment to said, you know, we'll get into the hospital, we get to the A&E. It took quite a long time to get the pain relief on this occasion. They had on the oxygen eventually. So we get to the ward. There was no pain specialist on this occasion. So she didn't have the PCA. Still obviously in a lot of pain. So basically their plan was that she would just be given her medication orally, which was 10 milligrams of Ormorph. You know, when someone's having a crisis, isn't going to touch it. Ormorph, paracetamol and ibuprofen. We get to the ward and it's late at night now, so we're, you know, she's, she's sleeping. The doctor who we met on admission said, you know, make sure she has the morphine in the night. So then we wake up in the morning and she's obviously really uncomfortable and screaming in pain. And the nurse says, oh, well, I, you know, I didn't give her the morphine because she was sleeping. I just wanted her to rest. I said, well, why? What's going on? So I'm still expecting to see a pain specialist or someone from the hematology team. What usually happens, and that's again, what would usually happen was, you know, maybe just one specialist nurse would pop down, you know, sort of check that everything's going all right, you know, maybe have a check in with the nurses to make sure that they're doing the right thing. So fortunately, on this occasion, that didn't happen. So it was a bit all over the place, and, you know, they were sort of giving her the pain relief all at once, so it wasn't sort of staggered pain relief. So she was extremely uncomfortable. So I was asking them, you know, what, you know what's going to be happening? Is this going to change? So they said, no, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. That admission was on the Tuesday. Come the Thursday, whoever comes on shift, think, well, yeah, let, let's stagger it. Then someone might come in and say, well, you know what? I've got lots going on on the ward and I'll just give the pain relief all at once, which means then you've got no other pain relief to fight with as terms of managing the pain. So she then has an acute pain episode on the Thursday. So she's due the morphine. 40 minutes she would do the, the morphine. So I'm saying to this nurse, I think you're going to have to contact the pain team or the emergency doctors and we're going to have to bring that morphine forward. She just refused to do it. My daughter's then, you know, she's rolling around in pain, then starts screaming. And I'm getting desperate at this point. So then I'm going backwards and forwards and saying, can we have the morphine? Can we just have the morphine? Because, you know, I'm sure by the time the team comes, they're going to give her a whole lot more than what, what you're going to be giving her. So this went on for a, a good half an hour. And we're, you know, getting into 35 minutes, getting to the point that I'm panicking because she's screaming in pain. Just awful. I'm looking through this glass window and you can see something that they have that can probably help her a little bit. And, you know, they were refusing to give it. 
I've called my family in London, called my mum on Messenger and said, you know, I'm losing it here. They're not giving her the pain relief. So my sister was like, well, you know, you know what are you going to do? She needs this now. They can hear her crying. They're crying because she's crying. Then I, I dialed 999. I said, this is, and now I'm worried if they're refusing to give her pain relief and she desperately needs this pain relief. Emergency responders, they didn't bob me off or anything. They were asking me questions. They asked me where I was. At that point, you know, the nurse came in and said, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I, I called the emergency team. They're on their way. They'll be down in five minutes. I said, well, you know, can she have the pain relief now? So then the nurse takes the phone and says, you know, there's no need for any emergency service. What the emergency team come in? So a good now 40 minute pain team come. Like I said to the nurse, they get, they increase the dose anyway. So they give her more than what, you know, what they were due to give her. Then there was a mention of a PCA or NCA, and the NCA is where it's the nurse controlled. So then the nurse can come and sort of press the button rather than the patient. We were discharged on the Saturday, so admitted on the Tuesday, then discharged on the Saturday. From the Friday, doctors from the hematology team came in and said, well, mum will be led by you because you know how things usually go. And I said, well, you know, I'm not a medical professional. I've never really been asked what to do. You, you know, usually come in and it's all systems go. I've, I've never been in a, in a situation where I've had to ask. You said that the doctor said they'd be led by you. Yeah. It sounds to me what you've just described doesn't sound like anyone was listening to you. No. They want you to lead them. Yeah. But then actually they're not listening to what you're saying to them because if they were listening, would they not have administered the pain medication before? That's true. They they would have done and that's what usually happens. But then they were then asking me, What do you think we should do? I said, Well I've She's in pain, and I know what usually happens. They weren't only not listening to me. I guess actually they weren't listening listening to Hanaya, who was saying I I'm in pain and she's crying. You know, obviously very uncomfortable. So that's Naomi there telling you that powerful statement at the end. The doctors were not listening to a seven year old child scream out in pain. That's powerful. Mm. That's painful. It's painful and it's powerful. And you know what? Rather than getting tired about talking about health inequality based uh, on race uh, and ethnicity, I'm excited to talk about it because actually it's something that hasn't been spoken about enough, has it? Uh, Certainly amongst us as global majority communities, but also amongst the medical profession and the politicians and those that make the decisions. All of the research that comes out will point to health inequality to a lack of understanding, uh, cultural incompetence, assumptions of of, uh, pain thresholds based on the colour of our skins, unbelievable inequality in experience when we go to (laughs) arguably um, the most advanced and and, and the best best healthcare system in the world. Uh, We're told, right? Well, it might be for some, but not for everybody. Pat, I sat in a meeting recently... And I saw what happens to those people living with sickle cell disorder when a doctor in that meeting behaved a certain way. I just sat there thinking, that's how you treat the patients when they come in in pain. You label them first. Absolutely. It happens in schools. It happens in hospitals. It happens everywhere. Everywhere. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk blood donation. Uh, You and I know because we've been shouting it from the rooftops alongside so many others that we, as global majority uh, people, are underrepresented when it comes to giving blood. We just 
don't do it enough. Really not enough. We don't do it. You know, we don't do it well. We don't do it enough. Our, our children, our grandmothers, our brothers, our sisters, our friends are suffering. And they're suffering really, really hard. If you can, think about giving blood. If you can. If you can't, think about encouraging someone to give blood. Who you know can. And in this next piece, we hear from people who support blood donation. They're not all from global majority backgrounds, but there is nothing like an ally to help fight your cause. I'm Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner, podcasting for our health. I didn't set out to do this. However, I am the daughter and sister of transplant recipients. I'm the mother of someone who may one day need a transplant. And I am a transplant recipient myself. Hi, I'm Pat Hart, a broadcaster of mostly South Asian background. And I'm partnering with Primrose to produce this series of podcasts. Why did you donate blood today? Because I have a brother who suffers from sickle cell all his life and has blood transfusions every six weeks. So I see it as me giving back and me helping people just like him. I mean, I can only donate every three months and he has it every six weeks. So it means that we need more than me donating every day in order for people like him just to survive. That's very, very powerful. How long have you been a donor? It's been about two, three years now since my mother passed away, who was a sufferer of sickle cell as well. So you've just donated blood. Tell me about that experience and why you're here today. This is my 24th time donating blood, and I know it is very important for us as the black community to give blood because not enough of us is doing it. The reason why I do it is because of those who suffer with sickle cell need many transfusions. You know, some of them need three or four times the transfusion and they're getting four or five pints. We only donate one pint of blood. So you have to think, where is all this blood coming from? And if they keep having these transfusions, they're living longer and needing more transfusions. But if it's not coming from their own ethnic background, it can cause antibodies within their blood and be detrimental to them. So this is the reason why I do what I do and try and encourage others to do it because it's very important. We also are looking for young black men because they'll have less antibodies within their blood and from your 17 upwards you can donate blood. You said detrimental to them when they get blood from other ethnicities. What is that detriment? Can you describe it to me please? It can cause more crisis and they can even pass away, you know. So this is the importance of us as black people donating blood because it does make a difference. Even though our blood is red, but there is a difference within the the genes within that blood, you know, and it does make a difference. And there is a subtype of the rhesus which is called RO and it's predominantly found in African heritage people. And this is what we're looking for. You know, it's very important that we do these things because if we don't help ourselves, who's going to help us? You're here to give blood today. Yes, I am. It's, it's, I've been giving blood off and on for 45 years. And I'm absolutely amazed to see so many young people in the donation centre in one time. It's wonderful to see. And I'd like to see more. It's, it's really good. It's a wonderful thing to do for other people. And it's so easy. And it takes so little time. My pleasure. Good luck with your donation drive as well. 
you've come today to donate blood. Why have you turned up? So I've been giving blood for a, a couple of years now and I think it's really important. I'm a colleague of Tukwazi's through United Union and she's been very passionate about the issues that the community that I come from have. You know, not enough people are donating, it's causing medical issues and it's really important that on a day like today we're trying to drive, raise awareness and I contribute to that so I'll be doing selfies and all of that thing, getting on the socials and hopefully helping or encouraging other people to donate as well. Why are you guys here today? We're here today to support the Evan Nathan Smith campaign and we're also thanking them for coming in to support our campaign for Evan Nathan Smith today. Why is it necessary to have these one-off campaigns? Yeah, we really need ethnically matched blood to help save people who need those vital blood transfusions and we just need to get the message out there to more people. I just had a lady really, really impressed with how many young people are actually here. How does that make you feel this morning? It makes me feel very excited and very proud that they've done this because we really do need more of the younger population and hopefully they will be blood donors for life. It's just about getting them to come along that one time and donate and see the process and the people's lives they will be saving by doing this. And as I say, hopefully blood donors of the future. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart. So, Pat, that was part of the blood donation team Mm -hmm. at Southmead, at Southmead Hospital Blood Collection Centre. Mm. I do you know what I get the feeling that actually if you did if a few of a few of you booked and went you could <laughs> I'm not saying it's like going down the pub but you could have a bit of a giggle a bit of a laugh you could you could make friends you can learn uh, and you can smile it doesn't have to be that scary kind of like cold um disinfected situation where everyone's going hmm, looking looking mess you can actually go with your loved ones as well um and give blood and and um, actually we should be happy that we're doing that and they have kit kat and biscuits. This and is this is extremely important. Yeah, I used to go with my daddy when he was younger, and I always used to go for the biscuits. And I would be fascinated, <laughs> Dad, Dad. Oh, that blood! What's going to happen to that blood? And they'd be telling me how it replenishes and stuff. But he would go regularly um, and give blood, and then you get a cup of tea and the biscuits. That, that's all I remember is those biscuits. Yeah, we like our biscuits and our cake, don't we, Pat? Mm-hmm. There you go. So our final guest for podcasting for our health. I'm going to feel sad when I don't have to do this anymore. So I think I'm going to do some more. You you feel partly relieved, but sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thinking about it now, I am sad. I'm thinking, who am I going to interview next? I don't have to. But you know what, Pat? You know, I'm going to go out there and find the means and the resources to make some more. We're going to do something else. We should do, do you know what we should do? We should do podcasts and we should do video as well. Let's introduce Juliet then, and then then we can sum up towards the end, I guess, can't we? So Juliet lives with sickle cell disorder. She calls herself a sickle cell warrior, and you'll hear why soon. Juliet is very thankful for anyone who gives blood. Juliet is blood reliant with her form of sickle cell disorder. I'm Juliet Israel. I have sickle cell. Some people tend to call me a sickle cell warrior. All I'm doing is trying to get the best for sickle cell patients and trying to see how we can achieve that together. 
Now, you say you call yourself a sickle cell warrior. Why do you have to be a warrior for sickle cell? Because living with sickle cell opens your eyes to a lot. One, you tend to be in hospital a lot. Two, the people you're hanging around are mostly medical staff, either in hospital or in the community. So because of this, a lot of interaction with the NHS, you start seeing the the bits where they could go one step further, just a little step further, just to make it easier for a sickle cell patient. Because sickle cell disorder is one of the most complicated illnesses that's very difficult to understand. And it takes a lot of everything for goodness, a lot of compassion, love, understanding, really, for someone to get what sickle cell is. If I see a hole in a place, something I know that can be filled in and made life easier for the next sickle cell patient, I would love to be able or to participate in filling up that hole. How I become a warrior. That's how you become a warrior. I really do like the term because warrior women are powerful women. You are somebody who lives with sickle cell disorder. And we have to be clear, it's a disorder, not a disease. Yeah, and you rely on frequent exchanges. Can you explain to me what is an exchange from a patient perspective, please? So I'll try and explain it in the most layman way I can make it for everyone to understand, even myself to understand it. Basically, because our cells are sickle, so what they do is this exchange. They try to remove the cells that are sickle and give you the normal cells. It's not a blood transfusion. It's a little bit more complicated. So imagine draining you of all the cells that are not whole and giving you something to replace that. So that is a red cell exchange. And because it's a little bit more complicated than a transfusion, we will use a lot more units of blood for one single exchange than just having two units of a transfusion. So, yeah, the differences in the technicalities and the amount of blood used in a session. Juliet, can you describe a typical day in your life for me? Just a normal day, not a day when you're actually having a crisis. Okay, let's assume there's no COVID. A normal day one, you wake up and as soon as your eyes open, the first thing that you will feel as a sick or sore person is fatigue. That's the first thing. You wake up and you're doing your morning stretch. You are so knackered. It's like you are walking the whole night. That is just one of the characteristics of sickle cell. We live with fatigue. So you're really tired when you wake up. And then you have to try and put something into that day. Because on days when you're poorly, you're going to spend most of them in the house. I like going for walk. I really love my walk because... They clear my head. They, the pain is there, but you just walk through the pain. So I wake up on a normal day, really knackered. Thankfully, I have someone who helps me around. Once everything is sorted in the house, housework and all that, and then I go for my walk. Sometimes they are long, sometimes they are short, but depending on how I'm feeling on the day. That is basically my typical day, really. After your walk, what would you do? 
oh, I'll be triple knackered. I just come and fall on the couch and rest. My rest takes about three hours or something. So, so yeah, when once I get back, I, I I relax a bit, like try to rest, and because I'm really really tired. What happens after you have had your relaxation? Are you still knackered? Very, very fatigued. Very, very tired. I personally feel fatigued to the extent that you feel like your feet are heavy. You're just so tired. I mean, if you tell someone, like, guys, I'm tired, and you've just woken up, everyone thinks there's something wrong with you. You've just gotten out of bed. So after work, Get back in, especially in the winter now. Have a cup of tea. Cover myself with lots of blankets to warm up. Then once I have warmed up, of course, during that process, a lot of medication I am taking for pain, for this, for that. And after that process, I love my tea anyway. I have lots of cups of tea. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready for bed. I, I do my, my reading and all that such things, things I do before bed. So it's, it's just a day full of fatigue on a normal day. Absolutely. Let's go to a day, Juliet, when you're heading for or in a crisis. What happens? Every single patient is different. But for me, I know when it's coming, what we call a sickle crisis, there are certain things I feel in my body and I can tell it is coming. And it depends on those feelers. There's some feelers you feel and it's like, okay, this is not so bad. And then there's some symptoms which are just awful. There, you know, it's going to be a big crisis. So once I start feeling that, immediately I start taking whatever I've been prescribed for it. And if it doesn't respond to what I'm taking, I immediately have to call Bristol Oncology and Hematology Center and inform them that things are bad. I think I'm going to be coming in. My procedure is I have to call them first before I call ambulance. And then once I've spoken to them, and then I call the ambulance, and then they pick me up, and then straight to hospitalization. Juliet. What takes you out of a crisis? So, Juliet, I want to find out what takes you out of a crisis. When I'm in a crisis, the only thing they have to do to get me out of the hospital is a red cell patient. Is that the blood? That is the blood. And that's lots of blood because majorly I use over seven units of blood. Seven. And because we have been using this blood a lot, I started having red cell exchange in December 2009 when I had a stroke. And because I've been using this blood, imagine from 2009 to death, different people's bloods are getting into me. So I have what they call antibodies. And because of the antibodies, that complicates it a little bit more. They have the cross-match process is a little bit more complicated and I think it takes much longer for them to be able to get those seven units together. And if I'm going for an exchange, I know I use seven units, but they have to prepare a little bit more than seven units just in case. So basically what I'm trying to put forward is I use a lot of blood and I use, in quote, special blood. So it is much easier if more black people would give blood because the more black 
say forgive blood, the easier it is for them to get those units together for a sick or salvation. I'm a Christian, so as the word says me is God. But what also God has given me is the red cell exchange. I live on red cell exchange every six weeks. So every six weeks, I need over seven units of very special blood to be put together. Let me just ask you, Juliet, for those six-week book exchanges, can you also go into crisis in between? Yes, I have. So one sickle cell warrior who could, in a six-week period, use over 21 units of blood. Yes, and because of that, I appreciate all of you, all of you out there who are giving blood, all my black brothers and sisters, all the other races who are giving. Thank you. It means a lot. And you may not say it, but it saves a life. It saves me. So thank you. And please continue giving. Julia, what would happen if you couldn't get the right blood at a time when you were in a crisis? Worst case scenario is there's nothing else they would do but watch me get out of this world. So Pat, that's episode 10. When are we doing episode 11? (laughs) Sorry to break this to you, Prem. We're not. Right. You know I don't know the meaning of those words, right? (laughs) Follow Primrose, okay? Uh, Keep subscribing to this channel. Because if anything new's coming, you'll hear it first if you subscribe. Because you get a little notification on your phone or on your computer. And it'll tell you when. And if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts... And in actual fact, you think that it's educated you in some way, even a small way. Pass it on to your friends. Recommend podcasting for your health to your friends and your family. Thank you so much, Pat. You've been most supportive. I won't tell our listeners the hairy, scary moments, the midnight preparations, <laughs> the last minute dot coms, the frantic phone calls. Pat, I don't know how to do this. They, they, need, they don't need to know any, any of, of this. Just that we've got 10 wonderful podcasts to educate you and inspire you to help someone else. Thank you, Pat. Okay. Thank you, Primrose. Take care, everybody. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart.